Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. We're going to go free to... One, Lions Lounge Lockdown, episode six. The man who captained me a wall in the FA Cup final. It don't get much better than that. Matty Lawrence, thanks for joining us, mate. Hey, good. Well, good afternoon here. Good evening to you guys back in the, the UK. Yeah, and thanks very much for inviting me on the show. It's a, it's a privilege to, I guess, to eventually when we start, you know, reminisce and, and talk about some good times I had at Millwall. I was at Millwall from 2000 to 2006, and yeah. We had Brilliant, some good times on and off the pitch. You're in, uh, you're in New York these days, is that right? I am, yeah. You can't see from the, the backdrop. We had to close down the blinds because of uh, my lighting issues. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in New York. Uh, I'm on the Upper East Side in Manhattan. So to my east, I've got the East River. To my west, I have Central Park. So yeah, I'm in a pretty nice part of the world. Apart from, as we chatted about off camera beforehand, apart from the last eight weeks when mm. I've been sat within these four walls, as, as I know you guys have back home as well. It's uh, strange times in the world right now, Dan. It is, mate. It is. It's worked out. You know, it's not a good situation, but for me to pin a few of you lot down, yeah. you've got the time to reminisce. It's, uh, the boys seem to have enjoyed it. They've come on so far, and hopefully you will as well. I've said a few of me, so it's a little bit like therapy for us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, luckily I haven't got to pay you $400 for the, the privilege of <laughs> session, though. So, yeah. Invoices in the post, mate. So, you started your um, Mill career 2000 to 2006, 228 appearances. Unfortunately, no goals, but you captain us at the uh, FA Cup final. So, don't get no better than that. Yeah. Signed by Maka and Rhino. So, that yeah. must have been one of their last sort of acts as managers, almost. I think so. And... Obviously, Macca and Rhino uh, were the managers at the time. But I, I think lots of us remember people like Paul Eiffel and Tim Cale and other guys who've been on the show will remember Bob Pearson, who behind the scenes, I think, initiated an awful lot of signings, whether it be as pros or uh, academy players. So really, all of my, from what I can remember, all of my conversations before I joined before I officially signed, were with Bob Pearson. Um, so I kind of, I, I don't want to say I wasn't a Macca and Mino signing. I, I don't want to be defamatory to them. But I, but I felt that it was really, Bob Pearson was the person who got to sort of know me as not only as, as a player, but also as a person. When I turned up um, and signed, 
he he reeled off so much. Like I wasn't a, obviously a twenty million pound signing. It, it wasn't a massive amount of money, but he'd done an awful lot of background work. Like he knew where my kids went to school. He knew who I was married to. He knew where I lived. He, he knew I'd been to university. He'd done, and I think that's why, as we'll talk about later, why Millwall had such a good bunch of not only players but lads and people, human beings. Yeah. Just, during that period, because there was not a signing that was just like a willy-nilly, just there's 500 grand, let's go and get that guy because he scored 40 goals. It was, let's make sure we, you know, we check that, that they're good people as well. Um, so I know, I know Bob Pearson did that, and I think he has to take a, a lot of credit for you know, the, the squad that was built, built up around that time. Yeah, spot on. A lot of the boys have said that top to bottom, the club was just, everyone was spot on, not just the players, the entire staff. You know, from from the from the canteen ladies right through to the scouts, it was just it was just a good time at the club and it worked well. You were signed for two hundred thousand pounds from Wickham. Yeah, um, I remember you. No disrespect, because as you as you started, I remember you being a right back that liked to play into the channels. But yeah. You developed into a brilliant centre back and captain. But checking your Wikipedia before we came <laughs> on air, you know, because at Wickham it said you come to me a wall, and you then went to right back. You wasn't a right back to start with. It said. Uh, no, I played right back at uh, Wickham um, yeah. a little bit. When I first joined uh, Wickham from, from, from here in the States, I was at the university here in the States and w- went back and played for Wickham. Um, I, I joined as, as an attacking midfielder, if you can believe that. And when, when I was on trial there, I played a reserve game for Wickham, scored one and, and, and set one up. And that's, that's when I joined. And initially there, I played in the, in the middle of midfield. Um, I remember a game at Wickham. This is how old I am. I played in the middle of midfield for Wickham against Luton uh, alongside Ray Wilkins. That, that's how old I am and that's how careers overlap. So it's strange when Ray obviously came to Millwall as a coach when I'd been, as he said, I'd been his legs in the middle of midfield. But yeah, at Wickham, <laughs> I kind of progressed from centre midfield and then Alan Smith, um, he moved me to right back and, and I, I became a right back at Wickham um, and then under Laurie Sanchez, he liked me more sort of a wing-back slash, I, I, I guess more of the, the modern-day full-back that, that gets fooled a lot. It isn't likes the bomb on, yeah. It isn't just about defending. So, yeah, I think I joined as, as a right-back predominantly. But, yeah, when I moved to centre-half, that's certainly, I think, when, I don't know, when, when people saw the, the best of me and when, when, I guess, personally, my career really prospered as well. Yeah, you started, so you started out right back under Rhino and McCleary. I said they wasn't there long, and then a change comes in, Mark McGee. Is that, is that difficult for a player to... I know you said Bob Pearson played a big part. You know, you get, you get signed for a club on the, on, the, on, the, on the understanding that these two are in charge, and all of a sudden they're out the door, Mark McGee comes in. How was that transition for you? How did you cope with that as a player? Uh, I think it's... I, I think as, as players, you just get used to it. Uh, unfortunately... Mm-hmm. You know, in the, in the world of football, managers come and go all the time. I think which is why it was important at Millwall that they had somebody like Bob Pearson, who was there there for quite a long time under numerous managers to to build a build a squad. Mm. It was a shame that Rhino and Macca left, but you just you get used to that. Um, and yeah, I enjoyed my time with Mark McGee. Um, we, we we had a falling out a little bit, but I, I enjoy I, I enjoyed working with him, and I, and I think we had a very good team at the time, which helps. If you're winning games of football, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but if you're winning games, you don't care who the manager is. The fans yeah. don't care who the manager is. They want to see your team win. So 
It can be a lump of wood, can be be manager if you want it. It doesn't matter. You just want to win as a player. So that winning formula, yeah. Yeah. Your middle debut, do you remember that? Yeah, I do, because uh, it was away at Wrexham. And the morning of, I drove to uh, to the training ground and met Bob Pearson. Uh, and met a few people behind the scenes. So, yeah, so I drove from Sussex up to the training ground at Downham, where, you know, did all the um, routine signing signs that, you know, the, uh, the forms um, and the you know, win bonus sheet and all of that thing stuff. I think I did a few more final bits of my medical. And this, bearing in mind, this is the morning of a game. So I, I've driven from Sussex to Downham, which is like an hour did all the paperwork, which was probably another two hours, then jumped in the car with, uh, I think it was Bob Pearson and Jeff Burnage and drove from Downham to Wrexham, which I'm guessing is probably like three, four hours. So that's four or five hours of traveling I've done. Get to the team hotel where the lads have obviously been overnight. They've had a sleep in the afternoon, had a pre-match meal. I turn up there absolutely fucked, obviously, because I've been (laughs) driving for five hours uh and just i i guess meeting the players for the first time literally shaking hands in you know in a marriott hotel in in wrexham or something not knowing anybody's name and yeah playing playing 90 minutes with a bunch of guys that i had no idea who they were and they didn't have any idea who i was so it certainly was it wasn't the best of starts in terms of of my own performance but (laughs) I, i don't think anybody can expect to play a, a decent game of football when they don't know the names of their 10 teammates and they've been in the car for five hours before they play. So I think I woke up at probably six or seven in the morning um, with no sleep and then then played a game at 7.45pm in Wrexham, yeah. And then probably got home about 4am back back in Sussex. So yeah, it was it was a start of a... Of, of a I loved my time at Millwall, I genuinely did. Start of a, a great career for me personally at Millwall. But yeah, it was quite an auspicious start I'm quite happy to forget about the uh, the 90 minutes (laughs) I think we drew 1-1 I think we equalised late on so yeah technically it went okay but yeah certainly mixed emotions yeah performance wise it it wasn't one of my best let's put it that way we've obviously interviewed some people from that team you played with a lot of a lot of jokers in that pack Yes. A lot of people got a lot to say. What was your first impressions on meeting those players? Maybe you might not have got so much time at Wrexham, but over the next week or so at the training ground, what was your first impressions of people? And Yeah, certainly at Wrexham, I was just happy if I knew anybody's name. Um, mm. But as you said, over the coming days and weeks, it, it became blatantly apparent that I'd been put into a very good dressing room, you know, a very good squad, obviously of players, but... I think you're used to when you're at clubs like whether it be Mill or Fulham or Wickham or wherever, you know that you're with some some good players. I, I it became apparent straight away that I was in with a good bunch of people as well. Which yeah. anybody who performs any job, whatever it is, anywhere around the world, you want to be working with people that you can get on with and who are funny fuckers as well. So when you've got people like you know, Neil Harris and, and Tony Warner and, and Joe Dolan and, and I'm sure the list goes the list goes on and on of just funny people, good people, good people you don't mind, you know, going to play a game of pool with or have a beer with or sit around the dinner table with, as we did in many hotels around the country over my six years at Millwall. Yeah, they're just a really good bunch of people. And as you said earlier, Dan, that 
that's not just the players, it's it's everyone. Yeah. Management, coaching staff, canteen ladies, the, the groundsman down at the den, you know, the, the kit man, just, just everything, the physios. It, I think a lot of credit has to go to everybody behind the scenes for just bringing together a, a good bunch of people. Even, even down to, you know, Theo was chairman. It, it just... Was I, for, for me, it felt like a good time to, to be at Millwall. What was he like, Theo? Theo, Theo was good. I, we, uh, I, I'm not sure we had a, a great relationship. Like I never went out for a beer with him. I don't mean that in a bad way. We just, yeah, yeah. he was the chairman. And, and not that he was aloof or anything like that, but he's kind of the figurehead. And um, when you get to know him and, and you read about his background, you know that he's an incredibly successful man. So... I, I don't want to say I was wary of him or anything like that, but but he's I was. Like, yeah, he holds a bit of slack. You know, like, oh, he's, he's the main man. Exactly, he, he's the man who who has the money, who has the purse strings. He's the man who writes the check at, at the end of each month. So yeah, um, f- fully respectful, but it, it never felt like there would be a relationship of, of like where you're going going out for a beer or anything like that. Which I guess yeah, is yeah. almost rightly so. The same as the management, you don't want to be like boozing and you know dropping your trousers on a Saturday night flipping you know in, in the pub in, in Weatherspoons or whatever in Bromley where, where it's a <laughs> the chairman over there it's fine when the, when the players are around and stuff you know so um yeah Theo I think Theo has to take so much credit for what he what he did at Millwall and the, the you know the fact he, he brought the club back from I don't remember the ins and outs, whether it's the brink of administration or the brink of bankruptcy. I know he bought the club for whatever, a pound, I think, but transformed them into, as we've said, the, the, the side that, that got promotions and, and got to, to, to an FA Cup final. So yeah. obviously a large part of it's down to the, the, the players, but it's also down to Theo and his staff for bringing those players in. Well, I came in in the February, so the first season we didn't get promoted. I right. think we... Okay. So, Sorry, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the February to May, I think we got into the playoffs uh, that year. Um, oh, of course, we lost to um, lost to Wigan. Yeah, lost to Wigan right. in the playoffs. Um, and, and not that it's about Mill, but I, I fully remember Laurie Sanchez was my manager at Wickham. He was the one who called me up and, and said, Mill are going to buy you. And he said, it will be a great move for you because Mill will go in places. They've got a great bunch of young players, a really good squad. He said... Hopefully you won't get promoted this season, he said. But the following season, you guys will definitely get promoted. He says, you're too good to not get promoted. Which is, you know, from an opposition manager, Laurie Sanchez, manager of me at Wickham at the time, got it totally spot on. Not that we didn't want to beat Wigan, obviously, but I'll always remember that. He told me I was going to a team that would get promoted. And uh, that's part of the reason I I came to Mill because of how much he, he spoke up for... You know, the management team, the, the, the yeah. chair and the players there. So, yeah, exactly what he said came true. So, yeah, we lost to Wigan in the playoffs. Yes, that was an incredibly un, unhappy part of uh, my first season at, at Mill. But, yeah, the next season, I, I think you, you don't want to be arrogant. You don't want to um, believe that you're going to get promoted before you had. But I think we all had the belief that we had a side that, that was good enough to get promoted. And yeah, that season was, was fantastic. And yeah, Neil Harris has never forgiven me for uh, winning player of the year that year. Every, <laughs> every time I see him, he says, I scored fucking 35 goals. In the <laughs> he didn't score a single goal. He's like, you get player of the year. 
So yeah, um, I dedicate that Player of the Year award to Neil Harris, and he's whatever <laughs> 28, 32 goals, however many scored. Yeah, a lot of it was down to him, but I'm happy to take the Player of the Season award from yeah, him. Yeah, but you've got, you've got actually thinking about that. You know, one <laughs> one to win the supporters as well because there are there were in our bunch to win over, but to to win <laughs> to win the Player of the Season from right back over Millwall's all time top goal scorer who scored that many goals. You must you must have had a very very good season. Must have been. Um, yeah, I, I, it was it was a great season as a whole. But yeah, I I had I had a good season personally, uh, and obviously we're winning loads of games. We got promoted, so it was enjoyable. But just the whole season was enjoyable. There was a good, you know, camaraderie from day to day at the training ground. And as I say, I think we genuinely we we, we didn't. We didn't want to get over over arrogant or ahead of ourselves, but there was a real belief that we were going going to get promoted, which is what any good side has. So yeah, mm. so personally, it was great. I still apologise to this day to, to Neil Harris for that. I must admit, <laughs> he, no, he's somebody I speak to. Obviously, I'm here in New York, so I don't don't see him for beers and things like that. But I speak to him a fair bit on text. So as I do a number of the other players as well. So yeah, great great season, and and, and hopefully the supporters you know enjoyed it as well as I'm, I'm sure they. I'm, I'm sure they did. It was just, uh, just a, yeah, a wonderful season. Lovely. We've heard some some very good, um, some dressing room stories. I won't lie, you was involved in a few of them. Uh, <laughs> I'll put, Paul Eiffel was a was a good friend of yours. Is that right? Tony Warner said he used to call you the uh, Brighton Bombers. Yeah, exactly. So as I said, I live down in Sussex. So Paul uh, was yeah was was my driving partner. So yeah, obviously I met all the the lads up in up in Wrexham um, for that first game. Then we got back to Downham, I guess, where our cars were. And Ives jumped in with me. I think at the time Ives couldn't drive. So I was basically signed as Paul Eiffel's chauffeur. That was literally the only reason I was signed. So, yeah, so we jumped in. I had a crappy old punto at the time. Jumped in my punto. I remember this. It's like 2, 3 in the morning. I'd been up for virtually 24 hours straight. And, yeah, I chauffeured Ives to, uh, I think, to his girlfriend's doorstep. Uh, in in Hassocks, which is like a, a couple of villages over from where I lived in Burgess Hill. So yeah, yeah. Twenty four hours later, after signing for for Mill for two hundred grand, I'm I'm now known as Paul Eiffel's chauffeur, and yeah, dropping him off at home <laughs> after twenty four hours. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, another thing I said about the dressing room, you was quite. Um, would it be fair to say you, you and Nevercott have, have had a few mentions? You was quite quirky in your approach to pre-match rituals should we, yeah. should we say it like that quirky superstitious ainly retentive yeah obsessive <laughs> compulsive yeah whatever you want to say at least at least nethers i think what did ne- nethers just used to make himself throw up he'd always do a few little sprint routines but i had numerous i guess you basically had to get out a set square virtually to get my towel in place and bottles of water make sure they were set up right yeah i, I don't know how I don't know how it started, but it just progressed. By by the end of my career, I used to turn up at half time for the game. So I was still in the in the dressing room, setting everything out. Yeah, I was yeah obsessive compulsive, and of course, we used to set the shirt or, or the the kit man would set the shirts out. Obviously, one, two, three, four. Tony Warner's number one. I'm number two, and as you know, Tony's the classroom, you know, prankster, so to speak. So so I'd go off to the toilet, I'd come back and I'd have bottles of water over one side, my towel would be somewhere else. I'd have to get them back and put them all in place. So yeah, 
It was uh, any fans who remember me, remember me not turning up till 10, 20 minutes into the game. That was the dressing room, putting everything back in place. So, yeah, Tony Warner used to, used to love doing that. Did the other players not say, Tony, don't, don't mess with his head. He's on our side. Do you know what I mean? Oh, don't mess with the other players. It was quite got their issues. He didn't do it too much. But again, when, you, when you're winning games and you're all, um, you're all in it together, it's fine. Yeah, it, look, if we were staring relegation in the face, I don't think he'd have done it. But I think we yeah, would, yeah. Just, the togetherness was, was so great that, um, yeah, he, he, it, it, it kind of bothered me at the time. But, it, you know, as in just in that second where I had to re, rejig all, all of my uh, little bottles and, and boots and shin pads and, and all of that. But, yeah, at the, at the time, it was annoying. But, yeah, it's, it's funny looking back. And Tony's another one of those guys who just, obviously, a, a fantastic player, great goalkeeper, but just a, a, a wonderful person to be around as well. You said the, the camaraderie was, was so good that we got promoted. We almost went back-to-back the following season, first year back in the champ. You um, started out that season, and you, you sustained a concussion. Is that right? Yeah, I... I had a, a couple of concussions, which which set me back a, a little while. Um, we also had a nutritionist. Um, this this is where it all went wrong for me at the beginning of the season. A, 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 well, in pre-season, a nutritionist came into the into the club, and, <laughs> and I used to um, like eat a lot of jelly babies and drink a lot of orange squash. So like my my sugar intake was 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 massive, and, but my metabolism still is now is really high. So so my metabolism could handle it. But the yeah. nutritionist came in, and as obsessive compulsive as I am, he told me to cut out the sweets, cut out the orange squash, just drink water, don't drink these sweets. So over time, my body just wore down during preseason, and I was just getting weaker and weaker and weaker to the point of. One preseason game again. I was chauffeuring Ives into the into the game, and I, I pretty much passed out at the wheel. I'd, you know, just had such a my, my body had, had pretty much shut down, and it, and it took an awfully long while for anybody to to realise what happened until I got back to you know upping my sugar intake and, and levelling things out. So I had that at the uh, preseason, and then yeah, a couple of concussions. So I think. The first two or three months of the season, yeah, I wasn't really in the side. So I had like the euphoria of the promotion from the season before, looking forward to playing in the championship. And yeah, it took a while for me really to get back into the side. So yeah, it wasn't really... It wasn't like a bang on the head or something. It was just genuinely, you needed your jelly babies. It was genuinely, I needed my sugar intake. And I had taken the nutritionist far too literally and, and followed every single one of his guidelines. And because, again, Millwall didn't have masses of money. I, I think when you bring a nutritionist in, you should be doing blood tests. You should be taking everybody as an individual, mm. not the squad as a whole and treating everybody as, as the same person. So, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I, I suffered because of that, but like, no, no ill will to anybody. But, it, yeah, it took me a while to, to get back into the side, which was a shame for me. But, again, as you say, that season in the championship, we just had that winning mentality. It's... Say same as anything. You get used to winning. You don't know how to lose. Almost you, you forget how to lose. And, and and we, I don't want to say quite took the championship by storm, but we weren't overawed by anybody. And, and and we still have a bunch of very very good young players. And and we were incredibly unfortunate. I think not not to get promoted once again, as you say. 
Yeah, yeah. Which, going back to that story, sorry, Joe Dolan, actually, I don't know if you saw it, Joe Dolan actually told the story, said he found you like, slumped against the door. Yeah. So, like, the geezer wouldn't let me drink no orange, but obviously that was why. Yeah, I, I don't, literally, it, it took a long while for people to realise. I, I think that was, I don't want to say part of the falling out that Mark McGee had, but I, they genuinely thought that I was disinterested. I, I was... Right. I was getting light, lightheaded and I just get as preseason wore, wore on, you should be getting stronger and stronger physically and mentally. Mm. I was just getting weaker and weaker. So, yeah, it was a yeah, it wasn't a great like two or three months for me and, until until people worked out what it was. I, I was having heart palpitations. I went and saw like the, the best heart surgeon in, in London. I had, you know, all the dyes shot through my, you know, uh, whatever it will be, veins and, and muscles are, are around my heart to check that, I, you know, I wasn't having a heart attack and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, genuinely it was a, <laughs> well, it sounds funny now that I wasn't eating je jelly babies and gave myself basically a heart attack. But, yeah, at, at the yeah. time it's scary. And, and that's why I had two or three months of, yeah, of, of a tough time, I guess, personally, because any, any same as anybody doing any job, you want to actually be doing your job. I was sat around the, the you know the dressing room or the the treatment room twiddling my thumbs. So yeah, it wasn't wasn't a good. It's actually sort of it stemmed from although the club had your best interests at heart. It's actually stemmed from then getting the nutritionist in. Yeah, put, put you on the sidelines. So yeah, again, a quid to get you have all the all the blood tests and things yeah. as well. Exactly. It, yeah, it, look, it's it's water under the bridge. Uh, no no ill will, but as I say, that's. That's what happens when you when you. I don't want to say scrimp and save, but obviously we're we're all different. We all have different body types, and everybody should be eating different diets. You don't treat everybody as as the same person. But uh, yeah, let's let's go on to the football anyway. And forget having a heart attack at twenty five. <laughs> I'm joking. I didn't have a heart attack. <laughs> it's fine. I'm passed out on the M twenty five. Oh, is that what that, we we have we have heard that story as well. Um, but yeah, obviously that's that's what that was. Jesus Christ. So anyway, yeah, you get back into the team. We go for promotion. We lose in the playoffs to Birmingham. Do you remember the um, more more painful memories, mate? Sorry, losing yeah. to Birmingham. Yeah, I through, throughout my career, I don't think I won a, a playoff game. I, I lost a playoff game, two obviously playoffs with with Millwall. I think I lost a playoff with Palace, and I lost a playoff with Fulham as, as well. So I've, done, I've been in four playoffs. And not even and made it to Wembley, so I guess I'm I'm the bad omen there. Uh, but yeah, the but the Birmingham game, obviously, what a lot of people remember is you know what happened at, at the Den or outside the Den yeah. after that Birmingham game. The game itself, I don't remember masses about it. I, I think Stern John did Stern John equalise in in the last minute or something to no, make it was, it, it, was, it, was, it was one or what air ground. And it went yeah. back to ours, nil-nil, second leg, nil-nil uh, full-time, extra time. Stern John scores in the last minute of extra time to win it for him. Yeah, I, I've, I've probably erased that from my memory. I knew Stern John had scored. Mm. I think we thought we were the better team. And I think we thought, that, you know, being 1-1 away at Birmingham, we, we, were, we were pretty happy with that. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was really tough to take because we'd had such a good season. Uh, obviously, the previous season we got promoted. As I said, I don't remember huge amounts about the game. I just remember, you know, being sat in the dressing room after the game, and and yeah, just being absolutely demoralised. All of us being demoralised. All of us thinking we were good enough to at least get to Wembley. 
I think, did Hull get promoted that seat? I can't remember who got promoted. I don't uh, think it was Birmingham, put it that way. Let's, let's forget that. Yeah, maybe it was Watford. Anyway, I, obviously, we all sat in the dressing room after the game, probably for nigh on like an hour, just uh, in, incredibly upset and inconsolable, really. And then, and then you start hearing about what's going on outside as well. And, and unfortunately, almost then, you, you forget about what's going on on the pitch and you just hope that everybody's mm. OK outside. I know that an awful lot of the the players, myself included, are then phoning, you know, wives and family members to check that they're okay. And yeah. it became a story, obviously in the newspapers, it, it, it became a story about what happened off the pitch rather than rather than on it. So yeah, of course it was terrible to to lose the game. And then the focus changes in the dressing room to a lot of the guys worrying about friends and family. And it, you know, mm. um of course. It was tough to take on on all, all levels. At this point, you're still a, you're still right back. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. You, you didn't so, move to centre back until um, Mark McGee left the club. Yeah, I came in as a centre half, and Det Wisey was the one who moved me from yeah, yeah. right back to centre half. Um, and as so often is the case, I I benefited from you know somebody else's misfortune. I think. Paul, well, no, I think Paul Robinson damaged his knee seriously. He'd been playing fantastically well as a, a great young player and what a great career he had going on. But yeah, he got injured and Dennis moved me to, to right centre-half. And yes, I'd had a good career at Millwall up to that point, but then I, I think my career really sort of, certainly personally, jettisoned and, and moved on to, a, to another level at, at centre-half. Dennis had always seen me as a, a centre-half as he told me, whether that's after the fact, and he he was trying to big me up, saying, "Oh yeah, we're no centre half, we're a bit short, so play there." But yeah, I just grew into that that role, and obviously playing alongside the likes of Daichi and, and Nethers, and then latterly Darren Ward. Peckham Beckham, yeah, I'm going to ask you about him in a bit. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't, I couldn't fail to succeed. Almost playing alongside. Nethers and Deitchie obviously being very good, experienced players and good talkers as well. They made made my game, uh, they accentuated my game, made it a, an awful lot easier. And then Warner behind or Andy Marshall behind, very experienced, great talkers as well. And then I guess to uh, right back, the, the likes of Kevin Muscat and people like that. So yeah, fitting into that back four in you a new the best. became very, very easy. Yeah. So this is... Um... A bit of a funny one, because obviously Mark McGee didn't sign you. You said you play under McGee, it was fine with McGee. But before Mark McGee left the club and Dennis Wise did take over, you spent a, a spell out of the team. Yeah. You'd, fall, you'd fallen out with Mark McGee, or so we're led to believe. So, Yeah, I, I can't remember like having a falling out, as in an argument falling out. I just think yeah. he, uh, as, I, as I described, I think he lost his faith in me more as a person when... He thought. I think they thought I was tossing off pre-season when I said I, I was just becoming weaker and weaker. Right. Okay. Then, I got, then I suffered a concussion. I think he was doubting my like mentality and strength of personality mm -hmm. rather than footballing ability. Obviously, Glenn Johnson came to the club on loan. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. From West Ham as well. Lucas Neal was there as a right back. And look, if I can't get into the team because you've got Lucas Neal and Glenn Johnson, it's not, it's not too big a deal. You've got two very good Premier League footballers. Um, obviously, Glenn went on to become a very good Premier League footballer there. So, I don't, as I said at the time, I don't have any ill, Ill will against Mark McGee. And I, and I get why, as a manager, he, he kind of lost faith in me. And I, I don't think as a player, I think it was more as a, you know, it's my strength of mentality. Um, yeah. Well, that's what he thought it was, but you're saying it was actually the oh, yeah, totally. change, changing diet thing. Yeah, it's something completely different to that. Right. But yeah, I don't. As I say, we didn't we didn't have a falling out like a, a blazing row. But yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you hate as as a player. There's no point in being a footballer. I'm not Winston Bogard at Chelsea. You know, he's quite happy to sit there and pick up his wages. If you if you're, if you're not playing, then I was miserable. So, and so you, uh, think, you think you was going? You think you was on your way? You was, was you like preparing to leave the club? Yeah, well, I I almost wanted to leave. To, to go and play football. If you if if a manager's not going to pick you, then you may as well go somewhere else and and, and play yeah. football. Um, but yeah, I, look, I got back into the team eventually. I still when when I lived it down in Sussex until what three years ago when I moved here. I'd see Mark McGee around Brighton all the time. He was obviously manager of Brighton. He used to take his kids to the or his, his child sorry to the same uh, swimming pool as I took my kids for swimming lessons. So our, our relationship's fine. I've, I've had beers with Mark. You know, since he left left there, as uh, since he left as manager. So yeah, there's there's no ill will or anything like that. But yeah, it was definitely a falling out in terms of he'd, he'd lost faith in me as a footballer. Right, and then then it's say like Dennis Wise, Mark McGee leaves. Dennis Wise gets the job. Does Dennis Wise immediately then come to you and go, look, don't worry, I fancy you as a player. Yes. I'm going to move your centre back. 
he he genuinely did come to me and 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 say don't don't worry I, I I want you to play in the team and at the time it was I want you to play in the team as as right back and as till until Robbo got injured that's that's where I played and that's where he selected me most of the time but yeah Dennis was a a very good man manager obviously he'd been a a player himself and worked under very good managers Dennis was great tactically he obviously brought in Ray Wilkins as well we had a a, a bunch of good. Um, coaches behind the scenes, but Dennis was such a good man manager. He'd take everybody aside and speak to them. So yeah, I was under no illusions that I was going anywhere. I I, I didn't know I was going to be in the team playing, but I knew yeah. I was part of his plans. Even if I was subbed for a game, I knew I was still in his plans and I, I could be playing next game. So yeah, my my time at Millwall then improved massively under yeah. Dennis, obviously because of the. Transition in terms of position, but also new, the new management, Dennis and Ray helped as well. And I think anybody who's watching knows that they, they were some of the best times for, for Millwall then as well. Dennis and Ray were great people, totally different personalities, but they worked really well together. And Ray, yeah. was, Ray was just a, a, a wonderful character to have about the dressing room. He was so, I remember the word he says, He'd always used the, the word effervescent, bubbly. He was just such a bubbly guy. He'd be the one in the dressing rooms dragging us out onto the training ground, you know, half an hour before training and having circles and little games. Obviously, Ray was the best player in the circle. Tony Moore said he still, he still had a bit on the pitch as well. Oh, he's still the best player by a country mile, yeah. He would... Um, obviously, you'd, you'd practice set pieces against, so you, defensively, you'd be practicing set pieces and Ray would, uh, Ray would be the opposition corner kick taker and, and just pinging balls in. Dennis would be, yeah, go over there, Ray. We want an in-swinging corner right-footed from over that side. So he'd trot over there and be just pinging these perfect in-swinging corners in. You know, defensively, you're just you're heading balls away, just getting used to the trajectory of the ball and things like that. And then Dennis would be, yes, go over the other side. They have a left-footed player taking in-swinging corners from the other side. So instead of having a left, Ray would just trot over there and just ping left-footed corners in-swinging. He was obviously so fucking talented as a player and still, a, he must have been 45, 46 then. His, his delivery with both feet and, and his just reading of games of football, you'd always want him on your team in five-a-side games because he, he was the best player. But by, by a country mile... I'm just thinking as well what you said about Dennis Wise. Like Dennis Wise, you said his man management was very good. And no disrespect to you, from what Mark McGee thought of you, you know, mentally, Dennis Wise was a very aggressive sort of player. So to see the best in you and bring the best out in you, that's he's done a great job there, you know, thinking of it yeah. in that terms. Yeah, he, he certainly did, as I say. I knew from the minute he came in as a manager, obviously initially he was player manager, I knew that he had full belief in me. Yeah. I like to think I was pretty aggressive on the pitch. And he was always somebody who didn't try and temper that. Like if you got sent off, if it was for something silly, like you've punched somebody or elbowed someone, he'd, he'd be pissed off, obviously. Mm. But if you got sent off or booked for, for challenges, for tackles, being, you know, full-blooded and, and, and wholehearted, he, he'd be fine with that. How could he not be when you see how he is? Yeah, a, exactly. And I think that rubbed off on us as well. Um, yeah, you've got people like Dennis and Muska in the team you can't help but try and meet their aggression levels, I guess, as well, without going over the top. Obviously, must <laughs> happen to go over the top every now and again. 
over the top of the ball. Um, um, <laughs> it, it was it was good to have those guys in and around the dressing room. Like I remember playing against Kevin Muscat when he was at Wolves, and you'd hate playing against him because he was genuinely pretty nasty on the yeah. pitch. So when when you're playing alongside him and he's in the dressing room, you're quite happy to put your arm around him and say, "Yep, come on then, let's let's get going." <laughs> and we did, we, had, we had an aggressive team. You got. And in a good sense, you've got Dennis, you've got Kevin, you've got Dave Livermore, people like that. You've got, you know, Paul Moody. I know that was earlier on. You've got people like Danny Dicchio. You just got a really, we had a, a, an aggressive, and but as I mean, in a good sense, aggressive. Yeah. And then obviously you end up becoming centre-half and eventually you captain us in the cup final. But before we get to the final, we'll talk about the run we went on to get there. Um Darren Ward, what was he like, the Peckham Beckham? He used to have a, some outrageous haircuts. You was obviously shaggy and he was the Peckham Beckham. What did you, what did you make of that when you got your first realised? Was you, was you shaggy at previous clubs or was you...? Uh, no, that was that was that that came about at Millwall, yeah. That was, like, I let the hair go slightly at, uh, at Millwall, but that's fine. Um, but D- Darren was, yeah, Darren was a, a great player to play alongside. Mm. And I, I think we had very differing personalities on the pitch and off the pitch, but I think they, chalk and cheese, I guess, but they came together very, very well. We understood each other. I think we understood the like intricacies of our personalities and how we played. Um, And yeah, that was, I I think some of the best games I played in my whole career were were alongside Darren. I I knew exactly where he would be and he knew exactly where I would be. and, And that was, uh, obviously, two centre halves. It's a big part of any any team, and that that FA Cup final one, as as you mentioned, was was just just fantastic. I, obviously, we're a little lucky we don't play a Premier League team until the cup final. But as the old cliche goes, you can only beat what's put in front of you. Yeah, exactly. And I think any team who goes back and forth to Telford about five times and before before the game's even played, <laughs> mentally strong enough to go and play. On a quagmire and a sandpit, you know, at Telford, a sandpit up at Tranmere in the quarterfinals, you know, Absolutely, yeah. we overcame uh, not quite adversity, but but it was a, it was a really long. It felt like a long cup run just because of all those postponements at Telford. It felt like we had some long trips as well. So, yeah, what about, um, Old Trafford, the semi-final. That's certainly. The, the game, of, of course, I remember the FA Cup final, but but you lose a game. That's not why you why you'd play sport to lose. So yeah. so certainly yeah, the semi finals, the one that the game that I remember, you know, with the fondest of memories. It was just a, a, a great day out, and I mean a great day out for the supporters rather than the players. My parents were there. I had a lot of friends and family there. Um, it was just amazing to be at Old Trafford. And it was amazing to know that you've only got to beat Sunderland to be playing Man United of Arsenal in the final. I sorry, think. Did you, sorry, did you, cap, you did you capture the semi final? Uh, I don't think I did. I, no, I don't think Kevin. Maybe Kevin Muscat did. I, I, I can't say my memory's too many concussions. My memory's not great. I thought it was bad. I didn't remember, but you played the game. You don't remember. Bad heart. Bad concussions. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think Kevin captured us at Sunderland, maybe, or maybe maybe Chopper did. 
But obviously, Kevin suffered the really bad injury That's right, yeah. at Old Trafford against Sunderland. I think he got, yeah, I can't remember. It's a dislocated kneecap and broken yeah. leg, but it was, it was horrific at the time. And seeing him, however wonderful it was in the dressing room at Old Trafford, champagne everywhere and stuff, knowing you're at the, don't know you're going to the, the FA Cup final. Seeing Kevin like laying in that dressing room, in so like he was in such serious pain as anybody would be with like a dislocated kneecap and a snapped shin bone. Um, but he was still like part of the celebrations as, as, as much as was possible. But yeah, I, I guess the celebrations were tempered a little bit because he was such a good part, such a good guy. Whatever anybody thinks of him on the pitch, he's a, he's a fucking lunatic, he's an absolute animal. On the pitch, but but off it, he was genuinely a really, really good individual, kind-hearted person. Looked after a lot of the young lads, um, you know, on, on nights out, would take care of, of, of bills and stuff like that. And I don't mean in an arrogant, there's my black Amex card or anything like that. He would just yeah. you know, carefully go to the bar, pay the bill, and come away. And then you know, the young lads would be like, "Who's paid the bill?" And it wasn't. He didn't make a big show of it. Yeah, yeah. He had that ability to do it, and 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 it was. Yeah, he was, he was a good, good, kind-hearted person. So to see one of your teammates, somebody, you know, uh, that you spent a lot of good times with, to see him so, so like, distraught so and, and in so much pain, um, it, it took a little bit of the shine off that day. But believe you me, you know, you then we went then went back to the hotel and Theo was there. I think there was politicians were there. We just had... We had a, a great party, and, and rightly so. You know, it's very rare that a championship team gets to the FA Cup final. I think we we're fully deserving of it. I think mm. Sunderland at times were a better team against us, but we we, we held pretty strong, um, and and we defended very resolutely. But yeah, always remember, always remember Cahill's goal and his celebration of running the length of the pitch to celebrate yeah, yeah. supporters in the corner and things like that. So yeah, it was a. Uh, a, a truly like marvelous spectacle, occasion, as well as the game, obviously, but just the occasion. Seeing so many, you know, old Millwall fans. I don't mean old in age. I just mean guy, guys and girls who've been supporting the club for so many decades. Being able to go to Old Trafford and and celebrate with us and getting to not to Wembley, getting to the Millennium Stadium. So yeah, it was just a terrific spectacle. The whole occasion was was truly awesome. Brilliant. So we beat Sunderland twice that season anyway in the league, so it would have been an absolute killer if they had beat us there, but they didn't. Then obviously, um, later on in the season, the FA Cup final. Do you remember getting the nod for captain, or had you already been captain in the side until that point? I'd, I think I captained the team uh, on a few games up till then. I, I, I'd never say Dennis and Neil had a falling out, but certainly the, the captaincy got taken away from Neil. I can't remember exactly why, and sort of not quite, it's none of my business, but um, it felt a little weird being the captain when Neil had captained the team for, for I think, large parts of the season. Um, look, I, I, it's, it's not my choice. I'm not going to turn it down. I'm not going to say, no, I don't want to be captain. Um, I felt, feel massively privileged to captain Mill full stop, whether it be away at Prenton Park, you know, Game Meadow if you're playing against Shrewsbury, wherever it may be. So it's a huge privilege being able to wear captain's armband of of a club like Millwall and then, yeah, being able to walk your team out at the Millennium Stadium, it doesn't, 
certainly for me, it was never going to get any any better than that. So yeah, it was a again that day was great, but I feel it was a, a you know a better day than it was performance on the pitch. Obviously, you're playing a a, a, a much superior talented team in Man United, and we had so many injuries, so many suspensions. It felt did, like did you have the Mark Ruben Nistelrooy. Uh, yeah, Van Nistelrooy was centre forward. Obviously, you've got Ronaldo on the other side, Giggs the other side, you know, Keane, Skulls, just walking out alongside Keane and Alex Ferguson, it, it felt a bit surreal. Mm-hmm. And we had such a depleted side, it really did feel almost like a, a, a Millwall reserve side. I can't remember all the suspensions, but obviously Muzzy was injured. Dennis, Dennis, Dennis Danny Dicho was out, uh, suspended, I think, yeah. Tony Warner was either in, I think may have been injured. Yeah, he was. Um, Dennis Wise was shouldn't really have played. He had about twenty five painkilling injections in his calf before the game. Um, it would have been uh, just too big a shock. Like it wouldn't even have been Wimbledon against Liverpool in nineteen eighty eight. It would have been a bigger. It would have been a bigger shock than that. Just because of not only it was Millwall, but what uh, what a bad side we had on the day in comparison to the side that we'd had. Three months ago, you know, yeah, it was yeah. It, the season almost got the better of us. The, the, the length of the season, the number of games we played got the better of us. And then obviously that took its toll on the FA Cup final game itself. But then mm. on the season, the season as a whole just got too big for us, not too big, too long for us because we just we just didn't have a strong enough squad. Yeah. Numbers really, not in terms of ability, in terms of numbers. So, so now you're the you're the skipper. You skipper decide there. Have you gone from obviously you, I said you've come from from as a right back to to a very good strong central defensive player. And you're a, was you quite vocal by this point? Was you always vocal, or was that sort of something that's developed as well? I think that that def, certainly when I I started out as a young pro at, at Wickham, I was. Uh, John Williams, the, the flying postman from Swansea, who I who I played with at, at Wickham, he he called me the mute because I I didn't talk when I when I took over or when I took over when I started. Bearing in mind I'd come from university, you know, here in the states, a completely different type of atmosphere to professional football. I hadn't had the um, like the growth that normal players do when they, they're at a club from 16 and you come through the academy and you're a scholar and things like that, you get to learn what being a professional footballer is. I, I had to learn on the job. You know, I joined, mm-hmm. I was 21 and a half when I joined Wickham. So I'd missed out on five or six years of learning how to become a professional footballer. Forget forget playing. I just mean that the camaraderie in the dressing room, it was... Being around it. It was alien to me. It was totally alien. I was this posh twat who, you know, had come from university. John Gregory at Wickham called me a student wanker and was telling me to get <laughs> and things like that. I was like, wow, um, you know, it was well welcome to professional football. So talking about about being vocal, it took me a good number of years to sort yeah, of to develop that. Come out of my shell, maybe as as a as a, a player and as a sort of personality in the dressing room. As I say, it's just night and day being at university, you know, studying all day, playing football at night for my, you know, for my college team over here, and then being thrown into a, a dressing room full of, you know, p- players who've been 
professional footballers for their for their whole careers. It was yeah, it was it was quite a it was a real eye opener. So yeah, I I didn't become really vocal. I guess till my time at Millwall, I'd probably yeah. I'd been at Wickham twice, at Fulham once as a player. Yeah, well, I I I I guess my career developed late just because I joined late. Just started like, late. Yeah, yeah. Something you touched on there, and that is, is something I've got down in my notes. Obviously, the following season, following the FA Cup final, we get into Europe. Um, we'll talk about that, but also what, I'm, what my question to you was, and it sounds like you've already sort of answered it in a way. Do you think that, you know, in hindsight, if we hadn't have had the distractions of the FA Cup, if we hadn't have had the distractions of Europe the, the season after, we could, have, we could have got promoted because we wouldn't change those times we had as fans, don't get me wrong, and I'm sure you wouldn't as players. But do you think that definitely played a part in us falling away in the league? Yeah, huge part. Yeah, there's no there's no taking away from it. We we didn't have the benefit of having a, having a strong enough squad. Whether that's down to there wasn't enough investment. I know I know Dennis definitely wanted more players to come in, and they they didn't come in. The FA Cup run, as you say, as wonderful it, as it was, and I wouldn't change that for a second. That categorically denied us promotion there's there's no two ways about it mm. not just the extra games but the injuries we picked up during those games the suspensions we had I think I genuinely think our not just our starting 11 but our 1 to 15 1 to 14 15 was as good as any in the division certainly enough to get us promoted anyway our problem was then sort of 14 to 20 or 15 to 22 in the squad what wasn't good enough. So when, when when we needed those players, we didn't have them. We didn't have them at our disposal. Mm. You, you're then relying on kids to come in and, and do a job, whether it be in an FA Cup final or, or in getting us promoted from, you know, how hard and the supporters know how hard it is to get out of the championship. Without the FA Cup final, and certainly with a little bit more investment, we, we would have we would have got promoted. So yes, it that's a little not not annoying or anything like that, but certainly yeah. I think I think you as a supporter, Dan, and supporters are, are around the world, and certainly back home in London, they're they're bright enough to know that that FA Cup final run certainly hurt the the, the promotion push. Mm. Um, I, I don't think just because we focused our minds on a semi final or final, but as I say, just the the culmination of of games and and injuries. Allied with, 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 or allied with, just not having enough players. And I, I know I remember Dennis and Ray talking about the fact that for us to get promoted with the cup run, we needed more players, and and, and we we just didn't get that help. Yeah. It's a sh- It's such a shame because it seemed really to be moving. I mean, Dennis Wise was was good for the club. He was very good for you personally as well. And we he comes in. You know, McGee did well, but then again, he seems to give us. Well, he give us times that no no one else ever has since, or probably will. FA Cup final, following year Europe, end of that season, bang, he leaves the club. Yeah, as I say, and that had been growing because of, of the lack of investment, the lack of players coming in. I think, was it that summer that Theo left as well, maybe? Yeah. Or certainly it was started. There were those rumours that were coming on board us as players. They always say, you know, keep your mind on the pitch. But anything that's going on behind the scenes, you're fully aware of. Mm. Dennis saw the writing on the wall. Dennis knew what was coming. He saw that in that um, FA Cup uh, 
that, that, that run we had, he, he saw that with no investment, he knew that there was no investment coming. He saw that Theo was leaving and Dennis was a winner. He only wanted to be in charge of a team that could win games, that could get promoted. The minute he saw that that wasn't going to happen, he, he was out the door. And mm. I think fair play to him. It, like he, 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 he he lo- he really loved his time at Millwall, but but he wanted to have the ability to do his job. And to do your job as a manager, you need the influx of players, you need the investments. And he only wanted to be in charge of a team that could win. He yeah. knew that it, it, he wasn't being given those players, so he wasn't going to sit around and pick up his money. He he walked out the door, and and I, I like people who who are, are happy to do that. He could easily have yeah. sat there and picked up his money. But he didn't yeah, want to. Be honest, yeah, he didn't want to be in charge of a team that that wasn't going to be as successful as he wanted. And, and I think that really does stem to the the back end of the season before when he asked for recruits to help us get promoted into the Premier League, and and they didn't come. And and I think that genuinely hurt him deep down. I think that upset him. And and yeah, I held him. And I don't think any any fan can hold any ill will against him for for walking out the door because he didn't get given what he requires. Yeah. I know manager wants millions of money being invested. I, I don't think he was unrealistic, Dennis. I think he just wanted a few extra bodies. The minute he saw that wasn't coming down, he, he was out. Yeah, and the thing is, well, I think, I think just the money wasn't there. The money wasn't there and people started to leave the club. Yeah. Um, I've said left the club. Stephen Reid already gone. And then also your defensive partner, Darren Wall, leaves the club as well. What was you thinking at this point? Wise, great manager for you. Uh, Darren Wall, great central defensive partner for you. Fuck me, I'm sitting on my own. What's happened here? Yeah, you could see what was coming. I, I, I think Dennis certainly saw what was coming. Um, as you say, the better players were leaving. Kale had already left. Kale, Ives, Lucas Neal had left. Reedy had left. Uh, you say Darren had left. That's that's the nucleus of one hell of a good championship team. A team, if you put another good five, six bodies with them, that will get promoted from the championship. So to lose them... And be part of that team at Millwall was really, it, it, it was hard. Because as I say, as, as Dennis wanted to be a manager that could win games, you only want to be a player that can win games. And, and we had a team that, that wasn't good enough um, to win games of, of football. Forget get promoted from the championship. It wasn't good enough to keep us in the championship. And, and I, think, I, think, I think we all knew that was, that was coming. And it was a real shame to see such a good side broken up so swiftly like you win you know you get to the FA Cup final and you just see the team completely decimated the manager walks away mm-hmm. um and I, I know we spoke off camera beforehand Dan that was for me the the beginning of the end of a very good period for me and also unfortunately the start of a period of two three four seasons of really bad times for Millwall fans and, and for Millwall teams because the team just wasn't being run properly off the pitch. Do you think that if we had, could have kept that team together for one more year with no distractions of an FA Cup run or a European run, do you think with Wisey at the helm it could have happened? It, it, so it would have happened. I, I think it, it, it was a side good enough to get promoted to the, to the Premier League, Premiership as it probably was back then. Um, whether that's a side that can stay in that league is, is an, another question. But... Without a shadow of a doubt, with all those names I've mentioned, 
and with Wisey and Ray at the helm, people who know how to get promotions, know how to win games in the Premier League or the Premiership, as it was then. Um, yeah, it, it, I, it would have got promoted, Dan. It, it, the team would have got promoted. Um, and that's always been um, like a bugbear of mine, knowing that with just a little bit extra investment, there could have been some even greater times at Millwall. And it just went the uh, complete... It went the completely opposite way. Well, that's what I was, I was going to say. After that, all hell breaks loose. Steve Claridge comes in for about 30 days. Yeah. Uh, Colin Lee, Dave Tuttle. And we end up, you stayed You stayed and, and saw it out, but we ended up getting relegated that season. Did that, as a player, for someone who, you know, who the club took on from Wickham and helped you develop as a player to the next level, helped you achieve brilliant things in your career, that must have hurt to see it go, get to there. And then by the time you've left, it's gone right back to where it started, or even worse off. Yeah, and I felt almost as a player, that's how, how I'd gone. You know, I, I started out and jokingly, as I came in as Paul Eiffel chauffeur, you know, got, got to the point of being in a side that was worthy enough of, of getting to an FA Cup final, playing in Europe, playing with such good players like Muzzy, like Dennis Wise, like Ives, Reedy, Warner. Wardy could just go on and on and on with, with such great players. Deitch, Barry Hales. And to see the team go from such wonderful leadership with Theo, mm. uh, wonderful squad built up. So, yeah, my career really, like, peaked with, with the FA Cup final. I just felt it then, the then downward trajectory was like a ski jump. You know, it, it just, it, it was so demoralising as a player to be part of a team, obviously, that, that gets relegated, but that basically just wasn't good enough. And, and we all knew it. And, and that's when I decided to leave the club. And and I envisaged being at Millwall for, for my whole career. Because so I started late. I joined Millwall in 2000, so I was 26. So 10 years down the line, I'd be 36. I, I honestly envisaged being at Millwall for, for a decade. I enjoyed my time there so much. But that season and that lack of leadership on and off the pitch was so demoralising that I just, I couldn't, I just genuinely couldn't take it. And I remember... It's just annoying, wasn't it? It's just, a, it's just like a load of good work undone. Just for, yeah. But undone... Annoying. I, I get if it can get undone over five or six years, but to be undone in five or six months is, is totally demoralising. I remember sitting down, I sat out the last two games of that season because I was so pissed off. I think Maka... I think Macca had taken over as temporary or caretaker boss for the last few games of the season. He asked, and this is the first time in my life, the only time in my life, that somebody asked me if I wanted to play. And I said, no, I'm, generally I'm genuinely done with this season and done with this club and how it's been run into the ground. Uh, and I set out the last two games of the season. I probably regret that a bit now. It was... Mm. Probably a bit petulant, but I, I genuinely, I, I was at the end of my tether with, with, not with the football club per se, but with the way it was being run. And I sat down, I remember this, before the last game of the season, <coughs> I, uh, I sat down with one of the directors in, in the home dugout before the game. I wasn't playing, obviously. Sat, sat in the dugout while the team was warming up. And the director said to me, I will give you whatever you want to stay at Millwall. We need people like you to be at the football club. And I don't think I've ever told anybody this. He said, we'll, we'll give you, what do you want? What money do you want to stay here? And I said, there is not enough money in the world to make me stay here right now because of, because of the way this club is being run. Mm -hmm. I want to be playing in the championship or higher. 
And so if a club comes in and offers me championship or higher football, then, then, I'm, then I'm going to leave because, as you said, because I've been part of this wonderful yeah. football club and wonderful team. And between you, you know, you guys running it, bad leadership, I said, you've, you've ground this great club, great team that we had into the ground. I said, so I've, I've, I'm off. Um, I'm done with it. You, and I genuinely meant that. I didn't, I didn't even throw figures at him. He didn't throw figures at me. I just said, no, not enough money in the world to make me want to stay here. Football would never been about money for me. Of course, earning money is great. Wonderful to have money and be able to pay the mortgage and mm-hmm. buy a nice car or whatever you want to spend your money on. But not, not to the extent, not to the detriment of my career and not to going down to League One and being part of a team that was, was going to struggle probably in League One as, as well. And that had been... Mm-hmm. Just so badly run from a team that That's was. The thing. I think. I think people need to. Well, people will realise you wasn't saying that. You know, there is no amount of money. You wasn't saying that because you didn't care. It's because you genuinely did care about the club. Was the reason you were saying those things? Because I can tell from talking to you, it's, it's actually hurt you. you know what I mean, talking about it. Yeah, that that season was was just so 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 incredibly difficult. Look, not that playing football is ever difficult, but just being part of a team that that wasn't good enough. Be you know, as I say, any footballer just wants to play to to win. The, the, if you win games of football, the money comes. If you play well, you win games. The money, the money comes. It, it's going to come if you do well. So that season, yeah, it just hurt me. It hurt my own personal career, but it ju- just hurt me mentally as well to see mm. how badly it had been run. And as I, as I say, yeah, I I envisaged being at, at Millwall for for the rest of my career, walking out what twelve months before as captain at an FA Cup final. Just missing out on promotion to to the Premier Premiership as it was then Premier League. Now there's no way I was going to leave such a a great club. But then, so I know we're going back over it a bit. But just to see yeah. every player that we had sold, the best chairman that Millwall had, had probably ever had in Theo Leave, one of the best managers it had ever had in in Dennis Leave. You know the fans knew it. The fans stayed away. The same, you know, and you can't blame them. You know that, and then. It's like kind of ever decreasing circles, isn't it? If the fans don't turn up, the, the, you don't get the money to spend on players and things like that. It was just, just really was, as I say. It's <laughs> thanks for bringing it up, Dan. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm now needing another therapy session after this. <laughs> so, well, listen, mate. I was going to say plenty of um, plenty of highs, a few lows thrown yeah. in. If you had to pick uh, one standout memory for you from your time at the club. Um, what do you think it would be? Just joining, just joining the club. Um, forget that first day, the Wrexham game and all the travelling. Just being part of the the Millwall team that season and learning what a great bunch of lads they were, learning what good leadership there was with Theo and, and the directors there. So I know that's copping out a bit, but just genuinely being part of a, a, of a great football club and a, and a great bunch of players and, and fan, uh, players that I still and fans as well who I still go for drinks with still talk to you know likes of Chopper and Ives and, and Tony Warner and go, could go on and on Robbie Ryan Sads Joe Dolan who I just spoke to just a couple of days ago just being part of a you know special one, bunch one big like happy family I know that mm-hmm. again a bit of a cliche but it really was just the fact that I was lucky enough to be part of that Millwall team, that, that's good enough for me. We had so many highs, but just joining, just so, just a great bunch of, great bunch of lads. 
Yes, it was a, it was a special time at the club, mate. You, you was a great player for us. You left eventually for Crystal Palace. So you left before Nigel Spack was appointed. You actually decided you was leaving. I yeah, I decided I was leaving. Um, Why Chris- Palace, though, mate? Why Palace? I know, I know, <laughs> and, and, and look, believe you me, I know. I I know how hard that is for Millwall fans, and as a Millwall player, I obviously had to think long and hard about that. Um. But they were they were one of the only clubs that came in. Um, they were a championship club. Um, Wouldn't have to move out either, I suppose, would you? I was just about to say, geographically, <laughs> it was perfect. I, I'd lived uh, down in Burgess Hill in Sussex, as I said, for my for my pretty much my whole career. So to not move house, to have kids who were at school, and obviously getting older and older by the day, and you know, not kids who were crash or whatever so it'd be simple to move kids who are at senior school or, or kids who are well into their junior school education oh, it, it was although the, the team itself wasn't a perfect fit obviously being major rivals of mill it was a perfect fit in terms of geographically and also for for my career be being able to stay in the championship look if if I didn't have to do that to Millwall fans and, and leave for Palace. Of course, I, I wouldn't have done, but I had to do it for myself. And I'm, I'm you've never. You got to do what's right for you. I'm never... People are quick to forget that football is still a job, and you have got to look after your family. You know, you got to look after yourself and your family. What's, what's right? So, but mate, listen, it's, it's held. Um, it's held no bearings. A lot. So many people were excited you was coming on the night. As we've spoken here for what an hour and a quarter, we spoke for fifteen minutes off camera as well. I'm sure we'll speak after this as well. I genuinely had, you know, the best times of my career at Millwall. So, and, and you know, some of the best friends in football are from Millwall Football Club. And that's not just the players. It's it's, it's fans I've met over the years and, and still meet. Even here in New York, you know, I've met Millwall fans over here. We'll go and watch Millwall games with, with fans over here. So, yeah, it's... I've had some great times. And look, yes, forgive me for the Palace thing, but, but as you said... I'm, I'm not going to sit here and, and say I, I wish I hadn't done it because it, it was what I needed to do for, for myself and for the yeah, family and, and for my career as well. And, yeah, hopefully people can see as I sit here and that, that genuinely, if Millwall had been run properly, I wouldn't have left Millwall. Mm. You know, I, I can't be blamed for the, the terrible way the club was run for, for 12 months. As we've said, we, we hit a peak and then hit a trough within the space of a, a devastating trough within the space of 12 months. And for any fan or, or for all the Millwall fans out there who were part of that, that season, they know how demoralising it was mm-hmm. as a fan. So if you can imagine being on the pitch and, and being, you know, almost a spokesperson for Millwall Football Club out there as the players, which you almost mm-hmm. are, um, that's, that's how fans around the world see it. The players are the ones who speak up for, for the club in a way. And yeah, we, we we didn't have the ability on the pitch, so so yeah, it was it was a, a sad way to leave the club, but it's it's something that that had to be done. And luckily, it, Mills got itself back. You know, it, it took a good few years to get get promotion, and it was great to it's great to see two very good friends in Chopper and and, and Livers. I know they've since left, but to see them bring in some really good times and some really I, th- I think it's very apt that Chopper and Livers 
got Millwall back to some really good cup runs and to some really high points in the championship. I think it's quite a nice circle to see see that coming back. Well, mate, listen, I say got a few few tough times, but some very good ones as well. When uh, the fans oh. were buzzing when I said you was coming on tonight, so thanks for joining us, mate. Really appreciate it. No, no problem at all. And yes, we we ended with a bit of a a, a bad point, but look, there was. Way many more good times outweighed the bad. So, yeah, I had a fantastic time. And I, I always appreciate whether it's fans writing to me on Twitter, inviting me for a beer when, when they're over in New York and things like that. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, the love and support is fully reciprocated from me to, to Millwall fans. That's for sure. Brilliant. Top man, mate. Thanks a lot. No worries at all. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 